Our sermon text this morning is taken from Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. And I was thinking about it this week. There are certain advantages both to being an associate pastor and to being a senior pastor. And among the advantages of being the senior pastor is the fact that the senior pastor gets to set the preaching schedule. We can see this in the fact that last week it was Easter and Hal preached. This week it's tax day and I preach. (laughs) Oh well. I was thinking about taxes this week, as many of you were. And as I thought about taxes, my mind went to this passage that we're looking at this morning. Please follow along as I read from the inerrant, inspired word of God. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in this talk. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and went away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us your glory and your grace. And it causes us to love you. We thank you also that it shows us how we might live righteous lives in light of your love. Help us to do so this morning. Speak not only through my words, but speak where they are lacking in spite of them, I pray. Teach our hearts. Mold us into Christ-likeness. For your glory, we ask this in his name. Amen. I don't know, perhaps... You don't remember, or perhaps you do, but there was a commercial in the late 1970s that John Houseman starred in. It was for Smith Barney. And you might recall that the commercial took place. He would be sitting at a table, and it was a fine dining establishment, obviously, and he was dressed to the nines and, and just a very respectable type of appearance about him. And he as he sat there, told you about all the, the hard work that goes into amassing a fortune, that it doesn't just happen, that it involves lots of research and, and such. And then he finally came to the punchline of, of the commercial. He said, you know, Smith Barney, they make money the old-fashioned way. 
they earn it. It was a wonderful line. It was very memorable. Not only was it memorable, but it taps into something that is in us. We like this idea of earning something. We think that if we can earn this something, then it is ours and rightly ours, and we should be able to keep it. And that's part of the reason why we don't like taxes, because there's this money that we've worked hard for, that we've earned. And now we're being told that this money that we have rightly earned and is rightly ours, we must turn over to somebody else. We resist that, and so we can relate to the questions that are being asked of Jesus here. Ought we really pay this tax? But we need to understand two things. First of all, the question that's being asked here is not merely a political and economic question. It's actually a religious question as well. There's a religious component into whether or not the Jews should have to pay this tax to a a pagan Gentile government. But even with that truth... The deeper truth is the Pharisees are not asking this question because they really want to get to the answer, but rather because we see here that they want to entangle Jesus in his talk. They want to entrap him or ensnare him in his words. And so they send their disciples to him, we're told here in verse 15, along with, in verse 16, we read the Herodians. Now the Herodians would be the supporters of Herod of Galilee, and Herod would have been the one who was kind of a puppet king of Rome. He, he would have been ruling over this region, but not really ruling autonomously. He would have answered to Rome. And we remember the Herod that existed back when Jesus was born and, and how he was no wonderful person, and neither was the Herod of this day. But the, the Herods, Herod and the Herodians would have been would have been more hated than even the Romans most likely by the Pharisees. They would have been those who would have been seen as, as really traitors and ones that they would have nothing to do with. And yet we see here that the Pharisees send their disciples with the Herodians. They get together and they're coming and that ought to set off warning bells. It's kind of as if you get a call this week from, from Michael Moore, the, the liberal filmmaker who makes the documentaries and and he says hey I, I just wanted to let you know this week Rush Limbaugh and I were sitting down together just having a nice time and we thought it would be nice if we invited you to a lunch and so would you come join us well if you get that phone call you, you might want to beware because I, I have it on good authority that Rush Limbaugh and Michael Moore don't spend a lot of time just fraternizing with each other That's how it was with the Herodians and the Pharisees. For them to get together shows the depth of their hatred for Jesus. It shows how very much they want to entrap him. Luke is more explicit in his telling of this story. He says that they sent spies, he calls them, who would pretend to be righteous men to entrap him in his words. These are not good people who are doing this, and they're not doing it for good reasons. They come to him, though, and say, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion. And This is right. This, this is actually true. Jesus does teach what is true, and he does not 
care about anyone's opinion. They're true in their content, but they don't really represent the heart of those who are speaking to Jesus. They say to him in, in verse 16, you, the Greek says literally, it's, it's, you do not see a face. It's kind of an idiom in the Greek. And what it means basically is, is you're not swayed by public opinion. The New King James Version says, you do not regard the person of men. And so it is with Jesus. This is true. He is not swayed by public opinion. He will hold to that which is true no matter what. And we should do likewise. James tells us, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to say things just because they benefit us to say them. We are not to make decisions based on how they make us look. And neither we nor our politicians should have a habit of determining our convictions based on the prevailing cultural winds. Rather, we must seek out God's word and see what the unchanging standard of Holy Scripture says to us. And we devise our standards based on it. Now, this is not always easy, but what is right is not always easy. And what is easy is not always right. And so Jesus is willing to take the hard road. Tell us then what you think, they said. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, they're not just talking about any tax in general. They're actually talking about what was called the poll tax. It was a small but very unpopular tax that equaled essentially one day's wages. And and what every adult male in the Roman Empire had to do was pay this tax. And the reason they had to pay this was because they existed in the Roman Empire. It was not on anything that they did. It was just merely a head tax, taxing their very existence. And paying this tax was the most obvious sign of submission to a Roman Gentile authority. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, should should we have to pay this tax? And the idea is, in bringing the Herodians with them, they've got him either way he answers. For if he answers the one way and says, absolutely, you should pay this tax. And they've got him because, you remember, this is, this is in the last week of his life. He's come in and the people are expecting him to be this Messiah who is going to run off the Romans, who is going to conquer the Romans, who is going to free Israel from Roman rule. And so if he says... Go ahead and pay the tax to the Romans. We are to submit to that authority. Well, then he's not much of a Messiah in the eyes of these people, and he loses his popularity. But on the other hand, if he says, absolutely not, do not pay this tax, well, then the Herodians are right there with him, who have their loyalty to Herod and to Rome, ultimately. And he will be charged with treason and no doubt put to death. And so it seems they have him in their sights, ensnared, caught, trapped. They intend this for evil, but God intends it for good. It's quite similar, in fact, to what we find in John 11, where we read that Caiaphas, the the high priest, is plotting to kill Jesus and says to the others, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. 
John goes on to tell us that Caiaphas, as the high priest, was speaking prophetically here. It was not just his own words, but God speaking through him. Even though he had evil intent, even though he had just the worst things in mind, still God spoke through him and used his words in a glorious and magnificent way. And so it is here that God uses the words and the actions of the Herodians and the Pharisees for our good and for his glory. Because we see here that Jesus answers questions that are pertinent for us. So we are glad that Jesus answered in the way he did. We see in verse 18, Jesus was aware of their malice. And he says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? It's funny, isn't it? They've come to him and and flattered him with these words. Oh, you don't pay any attention to the face of men. You You don't care what people think about you. And this is true, but, but that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to flatter him. They're trying to butter him up with this. There, there's an irony in that. But Jesus, Jesus refuses to do what they're trying to trick him into. They're using the word of God for personal profit, but he will not do that. He wants us to learn from it, and he calls them hypocrites. Now, he's not just name-calling here. He's not just throwing mud at them. This word in the Greek would actually be the word that was used of of an actor, one who acted in plays, for instance. And so what he's saying is, you, you are a bunch of play actors. You are not really being true to who you are here. You are pretending to be something that you are not really. Oftentimes Christians are are accused of being hypocrites. And frankly, oftentimes we are guilty. But just because you say that we should do one thing and do another, that's not necessarily making you a hypocrite. That just makes you human. Because there's not a single person in the world who does not think that we should live at a certain standard and yet fail to live to that standard. What Jesus is specifically talking about here with them is that they are actively pretending to be one thing, trying to, do, trying to make themselves appear in one way when they know full well that they have no intentions of actually being that way. Let that never be the case for us. Let it never be the case that we say you ought to do this when we have no intention of doing it ourselves. Jesus sees through their hypocrisy. He says, show me the coin for the tax. And they bring him this denarius, this silver coin. It's worth like a day's wages, as I said before. It it would have been a silver coin with uh, inscriptions and images on it that, that would have been placed there by Tiberius Caesar. He's the one who would have had these coins minted. He would have taken his silver, he would have had it minted into these coins, and it would have had... An image stamped on it. Jesus asked whose likeness and whose inscription are on this coin. And the answer, of course, is Caesar. It it would have had on one side of it a picture of Tiberius Caesar's head. And on that side it would have said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. See, it would have attributed to the Caesars this son of divinity He's a son of God, it would have said. And on the other side, as you flipped it over, it would have had a picture of of Tiberius sitting on a throne, clothed in the robes of a high priest. And underneath it would have said Pontifex Maximus, highest priest. 
And so you see the religious component of this question of whether they should pay this tax. They're paying with this coin that has an image of Caesar on it and is saying he is the son of God. And on the other side, it's saying he is the highest priest. It's saying to use this coin is to, is to offer religious adulation to Caesar that he ought not have. But so that Jesus asks them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Now why is his likeness on it? Why is his stamp on the coin? Well, if you walk down to my office and you look on my bookshelves or, or on my desk, you'll find any number of books. And if you open those books to the front page, right on the flyleaf, you'll see a stamp. And on that stamp, it'll say Library of Pete Scribner. Now, I do that uh, because if, if I leave one of my books somewhere and, and somebody finds it, they open it up, they see that, oh, this is Pete's book, they can give it back to me. After all, it's my book. I own it. And I would like them to return it to me. And so Caesar imprints on his silver his image, his stamp, that it might be returned to him. And Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He's not just saying with this verb, render. It's not the normal verb that's used to give something to somebody. Actually, it's a, it's a word that is used to repay somebody or to pay them back, to, to give them back that which is theirs. So he says, give back to Caesar that which is rightly Caesar's. Give to Caesar that which Caesar is owed. And so that calls to question for us. What exactly do we owe Caesar? What exactly do we owe the government? Well, I, I think we can judge from this text and others that we do indeed owe our taxes. We partake of the things that those taxes provide us. We, we are, are happy to partake of the blessings of being an American. And so we should pay our taxes as American citizens. But taxes are not all that we owe the government. There are other things as well. As we look at the Bible, it outlines these. First of all, we, we owe the government and its officers respect. In 1 Peter 2, we read, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He goes on to say, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now it might be easy for us to say, but, but come on. <laughs> when Peter wrote this, he, he didn't understand. He, he, he didn't understand. We're, we're looking at this upcoming election and, and, and we've got the two presumptive candidates now and, and we've all 
heard all the questions about President Obama's religion and Christian or Muslim or what, this, that, or the other. And now we've got Mitt Romney and, and he's coming. He's a Mormon. And is that, you know, can we vote for, you know, should we, whoever becomes president, do we really have to respect them because they don't, well, the emperor, the king that, that Peter was telling them to respect, I guarantee you, was far less pleasant toward Christianity than either a Mitt Romney or a Barack Obama. It was nothing to have Christians killed at that time simply for their faith. And yet Christians are told to honor the king, honor the emperor. And so we too, in our current context, are to honor the president. We are to honor the governor. We are to honor and respect those who are placed in authority over us. Furthermore, we're to give obedience and submission to them. In Romans 13, we read, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which comes from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. It goes on to say, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Now you might say, well, these people don't deserve my respect. They don't deserve my honor. They've acted very disrespectfully, very dishonorably. So they don't deserve my honor. But notice the text here, this passage in Romans 13, it doesn't say that they are owed honor by virtue of their honor or respect by virtue of their respectability. Rather, this is due them by virtue of their position, for God has placed them in those positions. There is no authority except that which comes from God, and so we are to respect that authority as a means of respecting God. We understand that we do not need to obey them if obeying them causes us to sin for our ultimate allegiance is not to them but, but to our ultimate citizenship which Philippians 3 tells us is of heaven. If we come to a situation where we need to choose whether we should obey God or choose to obey man we must follow the example of Peter and the apostles in Acts 5 who say we must obey God rather than men. But insofar as it does not cause us to sin, we are to be obedient to the authorities. Just because I shouldn't have to do this isn't a good enough reason. Just because it, 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 it isn't what I should have to do, I should be free to do whatever, is not a good enough reason. We need to submit to the authorities because we follow one who precisely did not exercise his rights. Jesus Christ existed in all glory, equal to God in every way for all of eternity. And yet he set aside that glory, which was rightfully his, and took on the flesh of a human being. Instead of receiving all honor and praise and glory, he received diaper changings. He was willing to set aside his rights and become the lowliest 
for you and for me. And so if we follow him, we are willing to set aside our rights as well. And so many of us need to take a hard look at how we interact with the government, how we interact with politicians, how we interact with the authorities. Far too often we are quick to tell a a snarky joke about them, to make fun of them, to believe the absolute worst about them from any report we hear, to spread those things that we hear as quickly and as widely as we can. And nowadays it's even more dangerous than ever in the age of the internet with with blogs and Twitter and Facebook and emails. Uh, a million people can hear what I have to say in no time flat. It's all the more important for me to be quick not to believe the worst about somebody, but to protect people's reputation, to honor them and respect them. I need to not gloat over the moral failings of those politicians who are not of my party. There are many opportunities to do that, aren't there? Sadly, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, there is no shortage of moral failings. It seems there's a new scandal every week among our politicians. I fear that far too often, if it is of the party that we are against, we gloat and we rejoice in these scandals. I assure you of this, Jesus does not gloat and he does not rejoice at these scandals, nor should we. Instead of giving our scorn and our contempt, we need to offer up our prayers. First Timothy 2 tells us, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. We need to support them with our prayers. And not just because it is to our benefit, but because God has placed them there. We render these things to the government. But that doesn't mean we render them everything. There is a place where that stops, is there not? Jesus says, and render to God that which is God's. And every bit, as much as these coins had been minted and stamped with the image of Caesar engraved upon them, so too we are made in the image of God. His image is stamped on us. And so just as those coins and the silver that was made, they were made of, belong to Caesar, so we belong to God. So if we are going to render to God that which is God, then we need to render ourselves to him. We need to give ourselves, not just partially, not just 10%, not just financially, But all of us, our very selves, given to God in every way, in service and in worship. We worship God alone. Picture Jesus standing there holding that coin. He's holding that coin. Those images that talk about Caesar as the son of the divine, the highest priest. Jesus holds that coin up, knowing full well 
and knowing that the Pharisees and the Herodians should know as well that Caesar is neither the son of God nor the high priest. There is one and one alone who is the son of God and the highest priest. And that one, of course, is Christ Jesus himself. The book of Hebrews speaks at length about it. It says so many things about his high priesthood. It says that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. We have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's a high priest who did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but yet was appointed by him who said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. He is a high priest designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. A high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. A high priest who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices and so was this high priest Christ Jesus But as the other high priests would come into the presence of God and offer up the blood of an animal that had been slain, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, our high priest, comes into the presence of God, offering up not the blood of some animal, but his own blood, the blood of his sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has shed his blood and poured it out. He is a new kind of high priest and a new age has come with him. And that is what he is saying here. There is a new age. And when they heard it, we are told they marveled. And they left him and went away. And that's the saddest part about this whole passage. Don't you see? The worst thing that they did was not that... They tried to entrap him in his words or that they conspired against him. The worst thing is left at the end. They marveled and they went away. You see, Jesus is our high priest, but he doesn't want your amazement. He doesn't want you this morning to just marvel and go away. He wants your worship. He wants you, all of you, committed to him now and forever. He has a right to make this claim on you. After all, He's earned it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer now, thanking you for the gracious gift of Christ Jesus, our Lord. May we all see this gift, know this gift more truly, and be committed 
to your glory above all else, setting aside our own desires, worshiping you, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day throughout the week. May all that we are and all that we do be about bringing you glory. Work in us to this end. We ask it in Jesus' name.